0: He's just leaned in. He's like, "You're right. I am a geriatric millennial. I will see this in three weeks when it shows up on reels. <laughs> right? Like a real I'm just adult." Accepting it. Like
1: <laughs> this is what's happening. Welcome to this Bible podcast. I know the name's super creative. I'm your host, Sam Lewis, and I'm glad you're here. We'll be diving into the daily lectionary, and I hope you'll find something that is maybe a little fun, maybe meaningful, and hopefully brings you closer to God. Let's dive in.
0: I am Mary Catherine Allen. I used to be United Methodist clergy, and now I... Am in the weird space of sometimes I'm Christian and sometimes the church really makes me angry. Uh and we're looking at Psalm 29. All right. Uh you divine beings, give to the Lord. Give to the Lord glory and power. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bow down to the Lord in holy splendor. The Lord's voice is over the waters. The glorious God thunders. The Lord is over the mighty waters. The Lord's voice is strong. The Lord's voice is majestic. The Lord's voice breaks cedar trees. Yes, the Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon jump around like a young bull. He makes Syrian jump around like a young wild ox. The Lord's voice unleashes fiery flames. The Lord's voice shakes the wilderness. Yes, the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The Lord's voice convulses the oaks, strips the forest bare. But in his temples, everyone shouts glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the floodwaters. The Lord sits enthroned
2: king forever. Let the Lord give strength to his people. Let the Lord bless his people with peace.
1: You know, I feel like there was a time in my life where i had been like, yeah. And I read this and I'm like, huh. A lot of break, we're breaking a lot of trees. God, why are we breaking trees with our voice? Yeah, the Lord's voice is doing a lot of like violent
0: stuff. Yeah,
1: here. yeah. I mean, I jumped right in there. Uh, my first question is supposed to be like, What stands out to you? But I was just overwhelmed with the overwhelming voice of the Lord.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, um. I read this first yesterday, last night. And I was like, oh, damn, gave me a boring psalm. It's all praise <laughs> to God. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. Give me a Psalm 139. I'm ready. Um, but yeah, the second read, I'm just like, oh, man, that's a lot.
2: There's a lot there. There is. So what, what stands out to you? What do you kind of dig into?
0: I mean, there's a lot of violence in the middle about what the Lord's voice can do. Um, I was really struck by the second line of verse one, which is give to the Lord glory and power. And that was interesting to me because I think a lot of times we think about giving to the Lord glory or praise or something like adoration uh, but it's odd to, for me at least, it's odd to include power in that. Like we are offering something sustaining to God, like that God, I don't know if requires is the right word, but there there's an exchange there that's a bit more than just God gives and God gives and God gives, but that we're whatever we are giving to God is some form of power.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because it stood out to me and I was like, it's so weird because I feel like God doesn't need power, right? Like God's God's good on the power thing. Yeah, um, I mean, we make it very clear later.
0: God's voice <laughs> is doing a lot of powerful stuff here. Right,
1: why does God need us to give God power? Um, but I, I like that, that it is part of this kind of, I think often when we talk about God, particularly in, some traditional spaces it is very much a god gives us good things we give god praise um but that's not a very dynamic relationship yeah and i think unless a relationship is dynamic i don't know that it's a relationship right then it's just a it's transactional Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
1: it feels
0: a little bit like the way that a lot of times we think about that of God gives us things and we say thank you with more more or less enthusiasm, depending on what word you want to use. It feels like it makes me feel a little parasitic of like, all I got to do is say, thanks, God, and God will give me anything I want. But this, that phrase, at least, to me, makes it feel like a more symbiotic relationship of it's mutually beneficial and we're mutually giving. Things that are necessary.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a weird tension because I hundred I I really believe that like whether or not we choose to participate in the good work that God is doing, God's going to continue doing God's good work. Sure. At the same time, I think you know there is something to this idea that God needs us, right? Like, um, yeah. And I do it is really fascinating the way my kind of theological lens has changed over time. But I, you know, I don't think God needs me to bow down like, and maybe I should be right. Maybe I am messing it up because I'm not regularly, uh, you know, laying prostrate on the ground uh, to God, but, you know, it's not really, that's not really a posture I take often with God. Yeah. And so when I read Psalms like this, it feels, it feels like, what am I missing? What am I doing wrong?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, um, I had a great thought there.
1: It was right there. I talked like 20 seconds too long. I could feel it. No, you're
0: good. <laughs> um,
2: you're talking about your posture towards God and, I, I don't know, obviously with
0: my own history with the church and I've had to do a lot of work about separating who I think God is and what I think the church has to do with that. Um, I've probably cut that line maybe arguably too far <laughs> uh, and divorced those two things.
1: Well, you have to but, do what you have to do.
0: Yeah. But it's one of those things where the more I do that, the more I'm really open to embracing that that's not what God needs from me. That, and if it is, that makes me really uncomfortable about who God is. It feels a little egomaniacal that like, you need me to be prostrate, that you need me to fall on my face in your presence. Like that, would it be nice sometimes? Sure. But do you need that from me as, I don't know, however you want to phrase that as a believer, as Christian, whatever, mm-hmm. like, is that really what you need from me? Um, and I've, I have become increasingly comfortable with the answer of, no, I don't,
2: I don't really think that's what God needs. Yeah.
1: Well, and, you know, uh, over and over again, we hear like, God requires mercy, not sacrifice, right? Um And I do think, you know, again, we get into this space where we stop reading the Bible contextually and we just get ourselves into all sorts of trouble. Because if we're reading contextually, this is a people for whom, like, praising a king, that's like what you do. And if you don't do that, then you are unloyal and then you're going to get in trouble. And then, you know, everything, I think, probably... In this psalmist's perspective, whether or not it was David, which I don't, you know, this is considered a psalm of David, but I don't know about that. Um, But, you know, so whether it is David or somebody else, this, this psalmist's perspective is that the way to be a person who is faithful is to give God all the adoration you would give a king. Mm -hmm. right and the adoration you give a king is everything you have adoration and praise and um and so you know in that context i
2: think maybe what it's saying is like god gets the best you've got Mm -hmm.
1: um and i think for me you know that may not be my praise. I do think there is is something to the idea of occasionally being so like gobsmacked by the like glory and grace and beauty of God that I have no other response than to to praise. But I think most often this looks you know bringing my best looks different for me.
0: Yeah. I think there's also something to be included there with the contextual reading of so much of this glory and praise and these acts of worship are communal. Um, I'm coming right back around to my, I've tried to divorce God and the church. And now we're like, (laughs) but the church is necessary.
2: And this is why I struggle. Yeah. (laughs) It's hard. Uh, Is that, this is the
0: communal act as well, that this is all of us getting together and maybe I don't feel or don't feel I need to fall prostrate and thank God for everything. But I do want to support my neighbors that feel that way. And I, I think in a lot of contemporary settings, there is this odd balance of what's performative and what's just an over like an overflowing emotion and because of that there is an insecurity about what feels authentic and what doesn't and for um for your neighbors or the people that you're worshiping with to know that you're in it with them even if you're not in the same space as them um it makes me think i <laughs> I was one of those kids in youth who when we're all at Blue Lake, we're all having cry night because it's a thing (laughs) for church camp where we intentionally try and get people overwhelmed. It's so gross. It's a movement of the spirits. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I was very much somebody who ended up, up at the altar Partly, I'm sure, because I was being moved by what was intentionally meant to be moving me, but partly because there were people I knew and cared about, and I did not want them to feel alone. Yeah. Um, And I think that there's something really important to that, that like looking back, was my presence at the altar ever something that was really happening with me? Most times, no. Like, I can't really think of a time in my years in youth group where that felt like there was something really earth-shattering, life-altering, direction-changing happening within me that I was trying to like work out at the altar on those evenings. But I did feel like I was supporting and connecting with my peers in that way. Um, And I think that there is, something to acts of worship that we may not be particularly comfortable with or may not feel necessary for how we understand and relate to God, that it is still beneficial to participate in for the sake that our
2: community is not doing it alone then. That piece feels so important. Like the idea that
1: we do these things not for our own benefit but for the benefit of our community. I often would tell people who would say like I'm not getting a whole lot out of out of worship right now. I'm not getting a whole lot out of church. And this was <laughs> when I was a younger pastor, which is crazy, right? I'm only 38, but um in my in my late 20s uh I would often say Oh, you're not getting a lot of worship. Well, good news. It's not about you, and it's not for you. <laughs> you know, I had some growing, growing edges there, <laughs> but the sentiment is that worship is the thing we do together, mm-hmm. and it doesn't. It doesn't have to be a traditional style of worship. It doesn't have to be a the expression of church we have right now has only been around for five, six hundred years or so. I might be making that up, but it's not. I'm going to nod along like it's right. Perfect. (laughs) It's not as if it is what the early disciples were doing. It's not as if it is the early church was not gathering together, sitting in rows, facing forward, hearing a sermon. It was a lot more give and take there was dialogue there was shared meal there were all these things right so when we talk about this it doesn't mean we have to go into the building sit in the either like contemporary chair or (laughs) uh traditional pew right like and it's not a few they chairs that
0: interlock (laughs)
1: Where if you are a fat woman, like I am, you're like, mm. okay, but I'm going to need two of these chairs. Yeah. they're Like, why are we make. locking them together? Because if we lock them together, I cannot like scoot it over a little bit so that I have enough space for my body. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's neither here nor there. An argument for pews, but we'll come that's back right. to it. That's right. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew that's what we were going <laughs> to cover in this podcast? Um, but Yeah, I do think you're right that some of this, some of these acts of giving glory to God are about doing this thing together. Mm -hmm. And I think the the reason I read it initially as this expectation of my individual self is because of the context in the world I live in. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's always that was a major shift for me and I don't remember exactly when it happened but the shift of this is not originally intended and I I would argue this could be a very long argument but I would argue that it's not the best way to read scripture if you're reading it for yourself yeah it needs to be community I think so much points to the fact that it was intended to be community. Um, Even just looking at the, like, just logistical need of it to be in community based on literacy. Like, that has always been a fundamental part. And I I think that the more, this is obviously, disclaimer, not an argument against literacy. (laughs) But the more that we can read for ourselves the more that we are encouraged to read on our own the more we try to parse out how does this affect me only and if it doesn't read the way i want it to or doesn't communicate the thing that i need it to then it is not worth much uh when it's all intended to be communal in some regard
1: Yeah. That is the whole reason for this podcast. I mean, that and because I wanted to hang out with my friends and call it work. Um, But in in my Candler days, when I was in theology school, all we did was like, hang out and study and drink and talk about Theology and talk about life with God and talk about these things and argue and grow and celebrate in scripture. And there was a way of doing that that I did not often get to in my life in full time pastoral ministry. Reading the Bible in community is life giving, shocking, it is crazy. There has to be some reason that this old document has survived all these years. Mm-hmm. And it is not because when I go alone in my room and I read that, you know, all of a sudden my life has changed. Not that individual reading is bad. Sure. But, but I do feel like communal reading is this this piece that is vital to our, to our lives and our,
2: um, our very beings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and the science shows that that's not just
0: Christianity. That's not just reading the Bible. Like that's right. necessary for anything. Uh we just happen to have something to do that around. Yeah, like a, absolutely. A, a shared focus on that. Um, in the same way that a D&D group has a shared focus on the game or a music group has a shared focus on the performance or whatever. Um,
2: but that need for community is mm-hmm. inherent. Right. It is human. Mm-hmm.
1: So when we read this as a personal individual experience, we miss out on, on what it's saying. I mean, and don't get me wrong. I still don't know why God's voice is unleashing fiery flames and shaking the wilderness. Um, oh man,
0: sometimes I think about the UMC, and I'm like, you know what? Some voice of fiery flames,
1: Fair enough. (laughs) Have them. (laughs) And I do know that, you know, in this context, it is the best way they can describe Mm -hmm. crazy power, right? Is to talk about the shattering the cedars of Lebanon. Mm -hmm. The cedars of Lebanon are it. That is the most steady thing you can have. And God's voice is great enough to shatter that I think
0: yeah it might it might be my Psalm 139 era that I still (laughs) am proudly in I have read that religiously meditatively um and it is comforting to me uh because there I'm a firm believer in God can take my anger uh I can be as angry as I want and God can take it Uh, And so I there are times where I think about what we've gone through or what other uh, queer people have gone through with the church. And I'm just like, you know what? I hope God speaks to you with uh, fiery flames and a voice that shakes the wilderness and absolutely shatters the cedars of Lebanon around you. I think you could use hearing God's voice that way. Yeah. Like I, I find that very comforting. I, and you know, that's one of those things that I, why I think God can take that anger is because I know I can say it and God is not my personal Santa Claus and it's going to make it happen. Right. Uh, (laughs) That God's got a little bit more judgment than that, than to do whatever I think is necessary. But it is it is comforting to me to know that God could.
1: Yeah. And that I think what we consistently th- see throughout scripture is that when it comes to upholding those who are in marginalized spaces, that's when God will. hmm God does not mess around with
2: people hurting others.
1: Yeah. God doesn't play with that. And so mm-hmm. I do think in some ways, the reminder that God's actually quite a bit bigger than me, it's not a bad reminder.
0: Yeah. there, There's a safety in that. And especially, I mean, I imagine in context, there's a safety in thinking, God can shatter the most solid, sturdy thing I can think of in a world that is not safe, that um, has all kinds of dangers in it. yeah, that there there is definitely a safety in that. This is not God lifting God's hand or anything like that. God just has to speak. Right. And can do these things. Uh, And that that is a very comforting for somebody that is scared or somebody that has been scared or has entered the paranoia of there's something around every corner. That kind of safety and that kind of like powerful watchfulness is really comforting. Yeah violent
1: but like real comforting
0: and <laughs> sometimes i've got violent feelings so like yeah
1: i don't hate it well and you know that is what scripture is right is this kind of expression of human emotions mm-hmm. and our bidding toward god right it is this the faithful words of god's people and so sometimes We long for that jumping around like a young bull and Mm -hmm. like a young wild ox and unleashing fiery flames. Yeah. And like you said, thank goodness God is more discerning in when to unleash that than I might be.
0: There wouldn't be much left if it was up to me.
1: Probably
2: could think it's not. (laughs)
1: It's for the best, but... Yeah. So what do you, what do you walk away from with this today? You know, having read this, what is something you kind of take with you to say, okay, that is a, that is a a good word for me today.
2: That's a great question. Thanks. (laughs) I,
0: I think it kind of comes down to the last verse for me is we have what is that i don't know i'm the math is not mathing right now six verses of god's voice is powerful and destructive and can do all of these great things uh, and it comes down to let the lord give strength to his people let the lord bless his people with peace God can do all of that. God's voice can shatter the cedars and jump around like a bull in a china shop and, (laughs) you know, be fiery flames. Uh, But I think that that speaks to God's intention. Give strength to God's people, bless his people with peace. And sometimes peace requires defense, but it doesn't have to be that way. And I... I think it for me that that is kind of the word of hope and that God can do those defensive things. God can and act in these ways. Um and God will defend those who are
2: hurting. Um but for the sake of God's people having strength and peace. Yeah,
0: which is that's a good word to me. Peace has been Fleeting, in a lot of ways, for a long time. Um, so I'm all about. Let God blesses people with peace, especially yeah. when, we've both been so in touch with.
2: Churches and communities that just aren't peaceful. Yeah, they just don't have peace. Well, I'd let that be the word for us today. That.
1: God gives strength to God's people and blesses God's people with peace. And may we be a people who accept the strength that God gives us for the sake of peace.
2: Yeah. Will you pray for us? Yeah. God, sometimes we really want you to speak fiery flames
0: and we really want you to show up in shattered cedars and raging bulls.
2: And we give you thanks that you have that capacity, but desire to give peace and strength to your people.
0: And we ask that you be with us, that you hear uh, our anger and our frustration and the ways that we are hurting and that you work in ways that bring
2: strength and peace to your people. Amen. Amen.